Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org Sundays. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. Hi, my name's James, and it's great to be speaking today. Lockdown number three, version three, whatever way we look at it, it feels unending, doesn't it? And and it's proving incredibly difficult for so many people right now. And I, and I think it's a combination of factors. It's not just one thing. But this uncertainty of, well, how long is it going to go on? Is it ever going to end? And then you combine this with financial pressures, maybe work difficulties, boredom for some people. Groundhog Day, every day just feels so similar. And the weather is, well, January and February is generally pretty bad, but you seem to notice it more than ever. Loneliness, homeschooling, missing family, missing friends, maybe even health concerns as well. And... In my interactions with lots of different people, it feels that people are at an incredibly low ebb. Society feels exhausted. And I think there's an an emotional exhaustion in many of us as well. And it's a challenging moment to speak and preach into, requiring both sensitivity and truth and hope as well. And I'm starting a new series today that I'm really, really excited about. When we come to start a new series, I generally get to spend four or six weeks in that book or that series before you do. And I've absolutely loved it. And so the series is called Do Not Lose Heart. Do Not Lose Heart. And and it needs to be said with conviction because after all, it's a bit of an exhortation. It's like, do not lose heart. We're gonna be in the book of 2 Corinthians leading into Easter. And maybe this might not be a book that you know very well. Often within church, there's certain books that we come back to more often than others. And 2 Corinthians might not be one of those. So excited to be unpacking this. Now, the title is lifted straight out of scripture. And the central passage that we're going to be keep coming back to during this five part series is this. It's in chapter four, verses 16 to 18. And it says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly. We are wasting away. And that's just a physical picture of our body. Some of us who are a little bit older in years, I'm kind of reaching that point now, will be like, yeah, I feel like it's getting worse. It's not getting better. You know, outwardly we're decaying. All of these things are happening. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. And the truth is they don't always feel light and momentary, do they? Um, Sometimes they feel heavy. They feel the opposite. It's like heavy and ongoing. But Paul's saying for our light and momentary troubles compared to eternity are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal beautiful words. And so today I want to talk about Christian hope because we can put our hope in so many different things. And many of the things that we choose to put our hope in, even as Christians, will ultimately fail us. But I I believe that Paul is showing us foundations that will anchor us in every circumstance and every situation. And he's showing us how not to lose heart. 
And he's showing us how in the midst of great trial and difficulty, and in his case, persecution, this book is written out of a background of um, Christian persecution, God is pouring in his hope. And so that's what I want to draw out today. And I've got a, a number of different points, which I'll, I'll just be unpacking. So let me start by just giving you a bit of context about this book, 2 Corinthians, and, and indeed even about Paul, the author. Now, the Apostle Paul has started loads of churches. He's a prolific church planter. And he would have had what is called missionary journeys. He had four of them where he traveled around the Mediterranean starting churches. And so what he'd do is he'd, he'd turn up in a, in a town or city. He'd start preaching in that place. And then as people came to faith, he'd gather them together and he'd appoint some leaders and some elders. And then he'd move on to the next place. And then on his next missionary journey, as he was coming back past, he would see how they are. In between these times, he would also write them letters. And that's a lot of the letters that we have in the New Testament written to specific churches to address various things that are going on. So let's talk about Corinth, which is the, the letter to the Corinthians. He started the Corinthian church in somewhere between 50 and 52 AD. And he spent about a year and a half in Corinth, almost securing the foundations, getting this thing started. After his initial stay in Corinth, when the church was planted, and we see this in Acts 18, 1 to 18, Paul heard that things had started to go a bit squirrely. He was like, oh, things aren't doing great. I've kind of left this fledgling church, moved on. I'm not hearing great things. So about a year later, while he was in Ephesus, he wrote them a quick letter. Now, this letter is not one that we currently have. It's been lost, explaining to them that sexual immorality in the church is not acceptable. And so he refers to that letter, um, letter in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. Now, that initial letter didn't do the trick. So about a year later, probably about AD 53, he wrote the long letter that we now know as 1 Corinthians, which covers a huge number of practical and theological issues. And you would have hoped that this might have sorted things out, knocked a few heads together. It's like, bang, you just need to do these things. But six months after this, Paul's apprentice, Timothy, passed through the city and found that the church was in a complete mess. This was probably the church in Corinth that Paul had the most difficulty with. In fact, it's such a mess that Paul decides to drop everything that he's doing. And he, made, and he makes what he refers to in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 1 as the painful visit. It doesn't sound great, does it? Now, I think, you know, we might have experienced these visits in our life as well. Sometimes you go and see your family and you might even refer back to it as, do you remember that painful visit? And it's like, it went really wrong in that moment. Things didn't go well again. And it seems that Paul left Corinth unsure as to whether the church would even ever get back on track. And his relationship with them was close to breaking point because there was so much that was going on. So he sent Titus with the letter that he describes in 2 verse 4. For I wrote to you out of great distress, distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love to you. This letter seems to have had some positive effect. And so for several months after that, sometime in late 54, 55 AD, two years after the church had been planted and about a year after writing 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. And so which confusingly is actually really 4 Corinthians. You got that? which Titus again delivered. Now, it's important for us to appreciate this really, really difficult history as we get into the background of 2 Corinthians, because if you don't understand all of that, then it's like, oh, what's going on here? And in this book, we see Paul both explaining how deeply he loves them as a church, and at the same time going, but I'm really annoyed by you. 
I absolutely, I love you, but I'm annoyed by you. And it just kind of reminded me sometimes of, uh, of what marriage is like, isn't it? You know, Jen sometimes turned around to me and she's like, I, I really, really love you, but you're really, really annoying. And so we had this moment the other day when she was like, do you know what, darling, you'd have thought after 20 years of being married that you would know that Tuesday night's been night and that you wouldn't have to get me to remind you every Tuesday. It's like, yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? I love you, but you're really annoying. And so in this book, we've got this, this going on, slightly different to my marriage, but I see, I hope you see what I mean. And this letter to the Corinthians, it, this takes up more time for Paul than anything, any other church. And at this point in their relationship, he's still not sure whether they're gonna, um, whether the church is gonna flourish or whether it's absolutely gonna implode. And so in this letter, we see Paul being, he's so passionate, he's so vulnerable, he's so raw, because the battle for hearts and minds is still on in Corinth. So that's kind of the background to the letter, but what about Paul himself? Because there is a bit of background for Paul as well. What kind of state is he in? Well, he is really vulnerable. He's generally been beaten up both physically and emotionally. And he's at the end of himself. He's exhausted, he's raw. I'd even go as far as saying that he's desperate. This is a very, very emotional letter that, we, that we're reading. So let's start. We're gonna start 2 Corinthians 1, 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Acacia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also, our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So as we can see from this passage, Paul is explaining what an incredibly difficult time he's had. And, you know, when he, he talks about despairing of life itself, I mean, we would describe that as the words of almost being like a deep depression. Paul has suffered because of his obedience to God and he has been persecuted for his faith. He's been stoned and ridiculed and in Ephesus, there was a riot that he's got caught up right in the middle of that we see in Acts 19. And so this is the background. Into this brokenness and weariness, Paul writes the most beautiful letter about Christian hope in the midst of trial and trouble and, and even despair. Now, there is a background of Christian persecution, which I've just mentioned, which we do not experience in the same way that Paul experienced it. And, and 
To be honest, he is an amazing example of what it means to be sold out for the Lord's purposes. I'm reminded of a, of a section in Acts 21 where the prophet Agabus comes down to Paul and he gives him this word and he says, it's basically, it's going to be incredibly dangerous for you to go to Jerusalem. And this is what Paul says. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. It's like, don't go. This is so dangerous. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. I mean, Paul was pretty single-minded. He was like, I'm, I'm going to go because this is part of the Lord's purposes over my life. I know that I'm going to experience persecution, but I'm going to go anyway. So there is a persecution piece going on here. But we as God's people... I do believe can also take comfort and strength and hope from God in the midst of difficulty and trouble and trial. So what is it that Paul can teach us about godly hope? And so let's pick it up in verse three, which says this, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. That word all is so important because sometimes we can sit there and go, oh, do you know what? I'm sure... (laughs) This is so big that God would care about, but he wouldn't actually care about these little things. And the truth is that God cares about everything that we go through. He knows, he cares, and he comforts. Compassion is in the nature of God. Compassion is in the heart of God. And and God never leaves us to fight our battles by ourselves. And battles come in all forms. Sickness, disappointment, grief, relational breakdown, loneliness, financial, emotional, so, so many different things that we are going to battle in this life. And God knows. And I personally find that just the most securing thing. And that's what happens when we first get into the presence of God is when we sit there and we stop and we put aside all of the distractions and we sit in the presence of God. The starting point for me is so often God knows that he understands When I stop and rest in God's presence, I'm just aware that he's watching over me, that he's watching over us. He is over every circumstance that we find ourselves in, that God is bigger than every circumstance. He's in control of every situation and he knows what's going on even when we have no idea. Because for much of our life, we don't. It's a bit like, oh, I don't know how that's going to work out. And I I don't know what's going on in this situation. And there's that moment of surrender. It's like, God, you know, you know. Recently, I've been a bit of a churn of emotions, as many of you will have been as well. And it, t- and it takes me, when I'm in a bit of an emotional churn, it takes me longer to be able to sit and rest. Peace can sometimes take a little bit longer. And yes, God can go bang, and the, the peace of God that passes all understanding can and fill you right in that moment. Yes, I believe that. But also, sometimes there is just that process with the Lord. And we have to sit and we have to fight for peace. And it's like, oh, Lord, I'm just going to, what is it that's going on? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I feeling moved? But what I love is that God doesn't just know about it and leave it there. It's like, oh, I know what's going on in your life, James. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? It's more than that. He cares about it. He knows and he cares. How do we know he cares about it? Because he's the father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. In verses three to seven that we see here, the key idea is that God is the one who offers comfort in every conceivable situation. Now, this word comfort is used nine times in five verses. So you kind of sometimes you're like comfort, 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 comfort. You know, you're like, I think God's making a point right here. And and this word comfort can feel a bit weak and a bit woolly, maybe even soft. I'd even go as far as trying to think what would be the equivalent 
ver version of comfort right now, and I'm going to go with this word loungewear. This has been a new uh, discovery for me, loungewear. I, didn't, I don't think it really should exist, but it does exist. And I've worked out it's a big deal right now. But it's that idea that, you know, after work, you don't want to wear your, your, your nice trousers or your jeans because they're cut into you and you put your loungewear on. And, and I think sometimes, because it's so comfortable and people then end up spending their whole day in loungewear. But this picture of comfort can feel very soft, can't it? And, but for Paul and for the rest of the New Testament, the word he uses is a long way from the word fuzziness. Comfort in the New Testament includes everything from kind of just an arm around the shoulder to a kick up the backside. It is so much stronger. David Garland, who's a New Testament professor, he writes this, and I think this is such a great description. He says, the comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with the languorous feeling of contentment. It's not some tranquilizing dose of grace. <laughs> you know, you can sit there, it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna sit there and it's gonna numb the pain. That only does pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending insurance. Assurance, sorry. That's certainly a stronger view of the word comfort. That's why in, in John's gospel, Jesus himself uses the same word to describe the Holy Spirit as the comforter, which shows that he is the one who actually convicts us of sin, strengthens us, emboldens us, transforms us. He does all of these things, but it's not weak. It's strong. It's comfort. Now, sometimes in life, it can feel like our spirit has been crushed. I don't know whether you've ever had that where you're like, oh, I just... I've been wounded. And when, when our spirit is crushed, it feels difficult and even dangerous to hope. So, you know, I'm talking about Christian hope here. And I was like, you know, we need to stand on the foundation of Christian hope. When we have been, when we are really weary and when we're not in a great place, hope actually can feel quite dangerous. But in this passage, Paul is showing us that God knows, he cares and he comforts. And Comfort is my, in my experience, is oftening, is often a strengthening of, of our frame day by day. You know that it talked about weak knees earlier. It's almost like, no, it strengthens us. Comfort is more than just holding someone. It's helping them to go again. God picks Paul up off the floor and, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit whispers to us and says, don't stay lying on the floor. You've got to get up. You've got to get up. You cannot stay here. I'll help you. I'll even carry you at times. I will give you what you need to get up. Just don't stay there. Yes, you might walk with a limp, but get up. Do not lose heart. And then in verse four, Paul now explains that this comfort or this encouragement that we, that we receive, that God gives us, isn't just for us. It's not designed to stop with us. God encourages us in all of our afflictions and troubles so that we may be able to encourage those who are in any trouble. So he makes it clear that the only thing that we have to offer other people is what he's first given us. And Paul assumes that the Christian life is one of suffering and strengthening, of setbacks, of encouragement, of struggle and joy. That is the authentic Christian life living in the tension of a broken world full of mess, where the kingdom of God is breaking in and restoring people and lives and hearts. It's both and, it's not either or. That's my experience. And God is walking through every season and circumstance of life. 
That is why I think that speaking to older Christians, particularly when we're, when we're younger in the faith or even young in years, when we talk with somebody, an older Christian whose faith is alive and, and active and strong and, and beautiful, who have experienced the highs and lows of life is so deeply important because they help to give us perspective. They might say, oh, do you know what, you're, you're feeling like this right now, but you probably won't feel like that forever. And then they start to share some of their stories with us. And we're like, oh, okay, that's so helpful. And when I'm dealing with pain or disappointment, someone older in the faith can be the greatest comfort. And they don't have to sit there and solve the problem. They don't have to come and be like, well, you just need to do this and this and this. And sometimes it's just listening well and sharing life and experience, praying and strengthening. To walk alongside somebody is the image that the Lord's given me. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So that's the first thing that I wanted to talk about. Secondly, he delivers us. God will deliver us past, present and future. He's saved us through Jesus. He's delivered us from death and sin and shame through what happened on the cross. So that's past. And he continues to live us, to deliver us in the day to day as his kingdom breaks in. And then he will deliver us as we go to be with him in the new heaven and the new earth. So one of the key challenges that Paul and, and the progress of the gospel faced in Corinth was the over, almost overwhelming cultural pressure to impress. We would think that this might be a now thing. Do you know what? This is a 2000 year old problem. To look good, to sound good, to enjoy the good life here and now, almost like the, the image that we would now have is the celebrity church or the celebrity pastor. The apostle's ongoing battle was to persuade the church to listen to him, to stick with him as he promised comfort and difficulty now and the future glory that will come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it seems that every visit and letter was designed to help the Corinthians grasp this and hold on to the reality that Jesus' death and resurrection has changed everything, resurrection power. And it seems that finally Paul is beginning to win the battle for their hearts and minds. But if they're going to hang in with him, then Paul knows that they need to be utterly convinced, not only that there is purpose in suffering now, but that there is hope beyond suffering. We see this in verse five. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now, in this section, Paul is referring to them suffering for the gospel and being persecuted for their faith encouraging them and saying, in the midst of suffering for your faith, Jesus is with you and he's strengthening you and he knows and he suffered and he went to the cross. Our saviour knows. And as you share in his sufferings, you also share in his comfort. Now, in the Western church, this is a concept that we find so incredibly difficult to grasp. But our brothers and sisters across the persecuted church stand on these scriptures. It is their experience. When I was in, in India a number of years ago now, had the privilege of going and there were probably a couple of hundred young people between about the age of, of 12 and 18. And they'd come to this conference and we had an opportunity to teach them for a week. But their stories, oh, when they started sharing their stories, you know, I just remember one vividly. This, um, this guy, I think he was probably about 15, who'd come to faith in his village. He traveled across the whole of India that his parents had disowned him and that he'd spent a week coming to this conference to be with us, to be strengthened and encouraged. And you're like, oh my goodness, 
you this passage you understand this passage and for us we might look in on it and be like oh do you know what I have inklings of what that might mean but that is why the global church is so important you know because we we practice our faith in a context here in Wales here in Cardiff there is a context to what we find ourselves in but actually as we begin to share with people across the global church the danger is our theology can come quite narrow. It's like, oh, wow. So they, they understand what it is to receive the comfort of Christ in suffering and in persecution and in standing up for their faith. Um, so it's so important that we recognize this about this passage of scripture as well. Then into verses 8 to 11. Now, in his letters, Paul tends to veer away from talking about himself but not here. He goes completely the other way and you're like, oh wow, I feel like I'm getting to know a lot about Paul. And he does exactly what he's just described in verses four to seven. He shares what God has taught him from the encouragement of others. Why does he do it here? Because he's making a point of telling the Corinthians that he was falling apart, facing death, because he knows that given any opportunity that, that they will slip into thinking about ministry in terms of success and giftedness and honor and impressiveness. In, in Acts 11, it talks about these super apostles. And these were, you know, who seemed like they had everything together and they did these miracles and it was amazing. And Paul's like, but that's not what the gospel is about. It has never been about looking amazing. It has always been about God, that God will rescue us, that God will comfort us that God will lead. And, and in verses eight and nine, Paul's language is pretty extreme. He speaks of great pressure, of being utterly burdened beyond our strength and of despairing of life so that he felt that he'd received a death sentence. Paul is not just saying that he was having a rough week. I think he's, a, he's right on the edge. And then he moves on to talk about hope and how God delivers us. Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. We can see this in past, present and future. God has delivered me from, you know, he's set me free. He is delivering me, it's ongoing. He's breaking into circumstances and then he will deliver me that one day I get to go and be in glory. And this word deliver is really interesting, isn't it? We'll probably recognize it from the Lord's prayer. Deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. To deliver means the action of being rescued or set free. And, and deliverance and prayer stand side by side. And if you keep moving down further in the passage, you see suddenly he moves into deliverance and then prayer, deliverance and prayer. So the Corinthians needed to finally concede the fact that going through suffering rather than something to be avoided at all cost teaches us to put our trust in God. In fact, they needed to learn that there's no other way of learning to entrust ourselves and our futures to God. So because of the cultural air that they breathe, the Christians in Corinth are prone to thinking that with gifted people and good preaching, they can pull it off. And so this whole letter is about strength through weakness. When I am weak, then he is strong. They aren't entirely sure that Paul, with all of his downbeat talk about suffering and his plain speaking and, and his lack of oration skills. He wasn't seen as being this great orator compared to the people of his time. But then they're like, is this the kind of man that we need? So what does Paul do? So Paul says, yes, you're right. I've got nothing. I've got absolutely nothing to give you. You want an impressive resume? Resume? All I can show you are my bruises. All I can do is list the occasions that I've been run out of town. All I can do is boast about the fact that God has rescued me from death. 
But it isn't about me or for you for that matter. It's all about our God who shows us our weakness, who encourages us through weakness and will rescue us through the gospel of Jesus. Paul tells them that his own near-death experience to remind them that only the message of the cross can give them hope in the face of death. So just coming in to finish, that God knows, that he cares, that he comforts, that God will deliver us. And then just finally, and just in a couple of minutes, that God renews us day by day. Let's talk about today. Let's talk about this week. Let's bring it back. We've realized over the last year how little control we have. We are deeply aware of how our outward circumstances are being affected right now. And I love this picture of being renewed day by day because that's what we know. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Exhortation, we don't lose heart. We don't stay on the floor. We don't stay beaten. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Alice is going to be unpacking that next week as we look at chapter three. And then just in finishing, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If you imagine a horse, often they have blinkers, don't they? Do you know what I mean? When they run um, and they're in a race and you put blinkers on them. So we fix our eyes. When I think about fixing our eyes, it's like we fix our eyes. In this moment, we stand back. What the scriptures help us to do is realize we're part of something so much greater, this story that is past, present, and future, and that God is working through all of that, that he's redeemed us, that he's saved us through Jesus. And we reflect on that, and we're given hope in that moment, that he delivers us in the present, that he breaks into this moment. But ultimately, Christian hope is also about where we're going, that one day we get to go and be with him. And so this idea of being renewed by day by day is that we have to sit in this day by day. We can't just afford to have a revelation moment once every three months. We have to be strengthened every day that our weak knees become strong, that God imparts his spirit. The only way we can do that is by being with him every day. We talked about that through being shaped by the word, but it's a beautiful passage of scripture. And so I just want to pray in finishing. Lord, hope in this time, we need Christian hope. We don't need any old hope, we need the hope of God. And Lord, I wanna pray that, that you strengthen us, that this word comfort is, is strengthening, that you strengthen us in order that we can live for you, that we can look at Paul's example and be like, oh my goodness, you were sold out for the purposes of God. Lord, our prayer is that we do not lose heart, but that we stand in the strength that you give us, that when we are weak, you are strong. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.